Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together business owners, leaders and experts to talk about their business journeys and provide them with invaluable insights and explore the link between personal and business success. I am your host, Warren Munson, founder of Evolve. I've previously founded, grown and successfully exited three businesses in the business services and technology sectors. I have a passion for helping and advising businesses and seeing them succeed. We all know that leading and running a business comes with its own unique joys and challenges and Evolve provides the advice, guidance and support to the business, you and your teams on that journey, be that if you're starting, growing or looking to exit or step away from your business. We do this through our Ignite, Thrive and Optimize programs and services, which includes strategic advice, coaching and mentoring, leadership training, funded business support and so much more. If you want to learn more about Evolve, then please do go to evolveadvisory.co.uk or connect and message me on LinkedIn. For now though, let's just get on with the show. Today, I'm talking to Ben Gibbons, co-founder of Circular 11, a company that transforms low-grade plastic waste into building materials and household products. With Circular 11, Ben and his fellow founder, Connor Winter, are aiming to establish a viable market for the often overlooked film-based plastics that constitute 50 to 80% of global packaging waste. Particularly prevalent in emerging markets, much of this plastic is either openly burned or ends up polluting the oceans. Through the application of composite and biocomposite technology, Circular 11 elevates this waste to produce beneficial items that can be recycled repeatedly. This approach enables closed-loop local circular economies that provide accessible solutions for communities worldwide. Amongst other topics during this conversation, we learn how the idea for Circular 11 was born during a waste management project in Nepal. And Ben talks with great honesty, humility and reflection on the entrepreneurial journey and all its pleasures, challenges and stumbling blocks. This includes angel investment versus venture capital, grants writing, the advantages of being part of a business accelerator and the peer group programs he's participated in, together with overcoming the old enemy imposter syndrome. It's a great conversation with someone who really is passionate about their cause and has given a lot of thought about the meaning of what they do and what they ultimately want to achieve as both an entrepreneur and as a human being. I hope you enjoy this episode and this conversation as much as I did. Hi Ben, welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Really looking forward to our conversation. There's so much I'm sure that we're going to cover about your, particularly your startup journey actually, which from the outside sounds like it's got some really interesting kind of moments in it and we'll touch on all of those. But for our listeners, perhaps you could briefly tell us what Circular 11 does. Yeah, sure. So we develop technologies to turn negative value plastic waste into building materials. the problem that society faces when it comes to plastic waste is that around 70% of it goes to either incineration or landfill. And a large percentage of that actually goes from recycling centers that are trying to do the right thing and trying to recover what value they can. Um, And they send huge tranches, tons and tons and tons every day to waste because you can't separate the different polymers within it. Um, And that cross polymer contamination means that manufacturers can't use this kind of plastic and so no matter how many 
recycle plastic products people want to buy, the actual input that's available to use from a manufacturing perspective is is really limited. And so what we want to do is find ways to turn that huge section of plastic waste, that huge tranche, into a valuable input material. And so we, we turn it into a, a type of composite material that we can use in construction applications and infrastructure. Okay, so I'm intrigued in so many questions that I'm astounded that it's still 70% of the, you know, we would have thought, you know, yeah. me, a member of Joe Public, would have thought that actually, yeah. you know, recycling of plastics would be way above 30% if there's 70% still being sent to waste. I'm slightly aghast by that. I know, and the confusing thing is that um, it's not that much higher in the best countries in the world, even in Germany, which has a way better collection system, um, you know, and even in emerging markets, it's not that much less because informal waste pickers do such a good job at, at picking up uh, waste that can be recovered. So the whole world seems to be within this 20 to 40%. Just stuck in this ratio. Rut. Yeah, exactly. And there's most of it going to waste. The hard thing is we don't want people to get disillusioned mm. about recycling. What's the point of putting it in a recycling bin? A huge problem is that nobody knows what's happening to their waste. Mm. Is it getting recycled? Maybe not. So you end up putting it in the bin and that mm. makes it impossible that there will ever be a solution because the residual waste bin is, is a lot more challenging. Yeah. Um, but it's it's a thorny issue and it, it, it has a, um, a large number of uh, kind of causes which makes it quite tricky to solve. But we think this is actually quite an overlooked key pillar of the problem, which is how manufacturers are able to reprocess uh, most of these types of waste. Okay, so we're going to come on to find out a bit more about that technology and yeah. how you came yeah. across it. But I need to ask, you know, what inspired you to create Circular yeah. 11? I used to work in the international development sector and um, I was doing waste projects, um, not through intention. I had started out on civic empowerment programs straight out of uni and one thing led to another and I was doing a waste management project in Nepal and I met my to-be co-founder out there and we were both working on this project together and we were really, really frustrated and um, exhausted by the inadequacy of what we were trying to do. Mm. We were setting up collection systems in all of these um, kind of rural communities and we were effectively changing a situation where everyone dumped their plastic directly into the river because that's the only thing they could do or they would burn it openly and instead it, you know a truck would come and collect all of the rubbish and then tip it into the river or burn it centrally but, but one way it was being burned or going into the water exactly system exactly the same yeah. thing was happening to it and it's because there were systemic technical challenges that they were not equipped to deal with this material um and I wanted to get more into the technology and I, I thought, you know, people can make money from recycling. This mm -hmm. this is a space where business should be able to inform and support the work of what this charity sector is doing because you're, you're literally creating value. Um, but when we came back to the UK, with the intention to find whatever secret source was happening here or yeah. whatever technology was happening here and transferring it, it wasn't very different. We're thinking, well, it actually, it's getting incinerated in a cleaner way yeah. and behind closed doors, but the rates aren't very different. So this is really a global kind of systemic challenge. Right. Um, and we were naive enough 
um, to think that we could find a way around um, and we can talk about this later but I think that naivety is your biggest asset when you when yeah. you start up because you, we thought why not because you don't know why no. you can't no. yeah we'll definitely talk about that and so neither you or your co-founder had a sort of materials or recycling yeah. or technical background before yeah. you started this business no my master's was in English literature yeah um, and my co-founder had spent about eight years in construction and um, carpentry, joinery, and real estate development. So an incredibly skilled um, person in in a lot of ways. But neither of us had that materials. Technical and materials, that, technical. It background. turns out is actually a very important part of <laughs> doing a material science startup. Um, you know, and we can talk more about how we did this. I think fundamentally there is a lot that I would do differently but we always knew that on paper we weren't the right team mm. to solve this problem and when you talk to investors they always talk about founder problem fit yeah. and that would really spook us out because we just were so passionate about what we were trying to do but we weren't the right people to, yeah. be, to be doing this and we thought well the only way that we can kind of prove that we're the right people to do this is by past tense having done it and you know I was kind of in a stage where reading all of these textbooks on at the time our initial idea natural fiber reinforced composite materials won't go into the technical details here <laughs> yeah. but this this like buzzword yeah. about like you add in fibers and it strengthens it and I thought well surely surely like if that is industrialized and commercialized, you know, we can use that in this in this different context. And I think there was a kernel of wisdom amidst the naivety, which was essentially, you know, a lot of the time you don't have to invent all of the solutions, but your contribution as an entrepreneur can be in, um, you know, it was not that far off increasing the liquidity of the innovation yeah. and saying, well, these people that are developing the technology, they have academic careers, they are not plugged into most likely a commercial context, they're certainly not plugged into a, an international development emerging market context. Yeah. And simply by being passionate to position ourselves in a space where we could be the bridge between ultimately raise money and enable the specialists to come on board with our vision mm. and contribute their expertise. We thought, well, who can tell us that we're not that person? I'm not going to be the material scientist, but I could be the convener yeah. through the energy really, that just makes the vision come alive. Yeah. And so do you think you, you know, are there, are there others in the UK doing what you do? There's lots of great manufacturers who take recycled plastic and turn it into alternative timber-like materials, yeah. which is essentially now what we focus on. Most manufacturers buy in their buy in their plastic. It's a 98% pure type of single grade plastic, yeah. and that's what manufacturers can use. And their products will look identical to ours. Um, and so, Plenty of people make the same things as we make. Yeah. The whole issue is that if you buy 98% pure plastic and use it, you are not 
adding to the net amount of recycling in the system. Right, because they're using the 20, the 30% exactly. that's, that yeah. is pure. Yeah. You're now, your USP is you're taking the unpure yeah. and doing something different with that's that. It. And there are, there are blurred lines. And so I do have a lot of respect for what others are doing in this yeah. manufacturing sector where if you look at a given waste stream, sometimes it's waste on one day and on another day, it's actually worth some money because the waste sector is really confusing and it doesn't make sense. And so some people will certainly be adding some kind of value, but there's no traceability. There's no um, ambition to take the uh, scale of waste streams, the really difficult stuff. And, and from what we understand and see in the market, not a huge amount of investment in the technical areas that there needs to be investment in yeah. to go far, far beyond what's being done now. Um, so there, there aren't people doing exactly the same thing, but you know we're we're still running as quick as we can because I think that in some ways the genie is out in terms yeah. of what might be possible using a kind of extrusion technology. You see more and more people saying this was made from waste and we think, I'm not sure it was. I think you bought that plastic because of the way that you've, you know, you've said it's, it uses um, a thousand milk bottles. Yeah. And milk bottles are a very easy thing to process. So it suggests to me that it's not waste. But people know that the market wants this. People want this. Yeah. The industries need to become more circular. And if you have those assumptions about the circular economy logically this is a pretty good place to start looking this type of technology that we're that we're involved in so we're still running fast i don't want to sit here lazily and say we're the only ones who have ever thought of this yeah. and and on that journey that's a great explanation and yeah thank you for your honesty and on that journey at what point did you feel like you'd cracked the technical solution mm. Because as far as I understand it, you were in Nepal in 2020? Um, yes. So you're sort of a just, three to four year journey you've been yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So um, I'm hoping Seaton is the honest <laughs> answer. But I think the first couple of years, we, we both as co-founders, Connor, my co-founder and myself, probably did battle feelings of... Um, kind of in, being an imposter in this space because mm -hmm. fundamentally it's it's great to have a vision but how do you know that it's vision and that it's not um to put it politely hot air yeah and the difference is well your conviction that you can actually execute and achieve but what's your time frame for doing that because if it's just going to be a vision for 10 years then yeah. that sounds like hot it's not a business it's not a business as well it's a crusade yeah, exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> Um, so, you know, we were getting closer and closer. We were always badgering material scientists and then we got part-time material scientists to support us more and more. Um, we joined kind of more intensive research accelerators. Um, and it's only been recently that we've begun recruiting full-time polymer engineers. Um, but I think that the confidence that this technology is fundamentally working has probably been quite new in the last six to nine months we've started to get results and we started to commercialize large percentages of waste streams that make us feel like no one can change the fact that mm. this is happening now yeah. and even though we're not quite where we <clears throat> excuse me want to be 
we are achieving something and there aren't technical experts we're talking to who who don't get excited you know there aren't people that are throwing out the basic concepts that we think can achieve this change and i think that's been the last six months which is great for us but if you put that in context of our journey that's a three-year period where we kind of were driving with all will in the world a technology that you know in your heart of hearts you cannot be 100% you know convinced that this will work and I think that humility is a an important and often missed virtue in this entrepreneurship space which is so much about bravado because it's almost flattering for a founder to say no i am a hundred percent convinced this is this is going to change the world and i think maybe for others but i think it's natural to think well i i think it can yeah and no one's given me a great reason to stop yeah and that's how we used to phrase it that's a great way of phrasing it because you've got to have that inner belief haven't you because you know you're in the early stages of your career and you could be doing other things but you're focused on this this is what i'm doing so you've got to have that inner belief yeah but yeah, I think there's a lot out there and I often say there's a lot of rah-rah out there without the substance and actually those that tend to go on to achieve something have that inner belief but the substance to yeah. and the reality check along the way. I completely agree. Yeah. I completely agree. And, and, and I would say when we're talking about this idea, you know, I started to introduce what we do with how we position ourselves after three years. And I don't want to take up this precious platform in this time that we have going through all of the iterations of the Mm. business but in brief it started off very very far away from what we're doing now the initial idea was essentially a a bizarre idea that was terrible and never going to work to do with um basically making bins that hand shredded the material so that it was more easily transported to reduce logistics costs in emerging markets okay so it started there and we thought well what can you do with that material well it turns out you can extrude it into things what 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 do people need in the communities we want to work with well building materials so showing this kind of naivety and innocence of youth we thought well building materials that means bricks yeah so we called ourselves green bricks or green brick and we spent the first year and year and a half almost really working hard to develop a brick made from plastic and we did and we could build walls with it and it was very strong and we got it laboratory tested but there are many reasons that i won't go into here why that is not a great place to begin and we realized what we were doing on the side of that business which was this really unflattering side business where some people some businesses would ask us for benches and we'd say yeah, yeah from this material yeah okay we can make you benches from this material um but i don't want to be known as a bench manufacturer so we're never going to mention that and it was only talking to investors they were saying oh you're already selling and we're like no no, no well we're just selling benches no, nobody <laughs> wants that it's you know yeah, the, and benches yeah is come on yeah yeah <laughs> and um you know we realized actually the fundamental value of what we're doing is in the process of, you know, transmuting all of this waste into something that has previously not had value in the market and and can be valorized. And that we should be making the simplest, most scalable products that we can from this because that will allow us to realize the value of the process. So, you know, 
apologies for giving you a huge download there. No, it's great. But it doesn't but, start off with the idea. No. And, and I, I think part of that along the journey, you know, unless you've got a very simple business, you know, like professional services, which I started, you kind of know the journey you're on. You might pivot your marketplace. But I think businesses that start with product in mind and particularly tech product, you know, yeah. Yeah. the unproven yeah. have to have their eyes yeah. wide open to pivot. Yeah. And I, I suppose the thing that it would appear you and your co-founder have done well is you've listened to others to try and find where the market opportunity is. Thanks. Is that truth? Um, in many ways, I think we have shown a good ability to reposition and pivot. And I'll give ourselves that because I think that a lot of the time I see people um, have to wind up at a, a startup early. Yeah. I think um, it's because you're exhausted of reimagining mm. yourself. And, you know, it's not that the idea was wrong because the idea is always wrong. Yeah. That, that's a given that the idea was wrong because how could it be right? How could you guess the complex marketplace that we live in and, and everything else? Um, the only reason I hesitate is, you know, the idea of us discerningly spotting opportunities from afar and with a composed manner, mm. selecting a better, no, this was just reality was... bruises and <laughs> like bludgeoning to the face as we kind of hit this brick wall enough times and then slowly start <laughs> to realize that there's a doorway nearby. And... Yeah. We go through that. And I, I suppose those of us that have started businesses and listening to the podcast will understand that need for perseverance to keep finding the energy to keep going. But, you know, those that are perhaps listening to this podcast that are early in their startup journey or even thinking about starting a business, what hints and tips would you give them about maintaining yeah. the perseverance and energy, Ben? That's a great question and the crucial question. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that to be able to value your own vision is is the hardest and the most important thing. And, um, you know, to be able to use, for example, a generous present tense where at an early stage, you aren't doing anything realistically mm. it is just an idea and you're just quote unquote someone pitching in front of people or chatting to a few experts here and there but the ability to kind of buy into your own um belief in what is possible in the future is what distinguishes you know yeah entrepreneurs from from any other class of activity that's you know also important and and so I think just being able to like allow that and for that not to have to be a deluded belief you don't have to convince yourself that you have some god-given insight in fact you probably shouldn't think that yeah. you have a god-given insight but to be um able to appreciate like the pure drive and kind of creative impulse within you is is really hard to do when you're knocked about and experts say um or you know when anyone says this isn't uh, a good idea yeah. because they're probably right and they're probably right in many ways at least and you actually need to take some of that on board i don't like the myth of the kind of like absolutely solo entrepreneur that just has this ambition separate and above the world yeah. and will 
destroy everything in their path. It's it's much more of a dance and you have to be sensitive, but you have to believe. I love that. It's much more of a dance. And part of the, that process, isn't it? And you've talked about it openly about that piece around and many of us still can and have that imposter syndrome. Yeah. Um, what have you done over the years? And I know it's still a relatively short period of time to make sure that, that you're not listening to that voice of the imposter. You know, to be candid, even in the last year, as we've begun to scale rather than just ideate yeah. and be a startup, there are so many knocks along the way. It takes a little bit of time for me and my co-founder to come together and say, I think we've I think we've lost a bit of vision over the last few months and I think that we need to get back that that vision yeah. and that's probably going to keep on happening because yeah. you get you get knocked about but I think that you know it, it it takes a lot to be able to discern and put maturely what you can contribute to a given uh, commercial space or given social problem and I think that this is a really underrated skill for example um, to use myself as an example not because I'm the best example but just because it's obviously the, the thing that's, that's most strongly that's what happens yeah um, you know we had so many things that were um, kind of that that made us less than an ideal team so yeah. many things and we could have made that list as, as long as we wanted but we had a really you know a really great energy as a team a really um Im important sense of mission and i think a, a resilience that yeah. um you know we got out business loans right at the start of our journey and and started to do stuff rather than just talk about stuff yeah. and i think that if i was much older on my journey and you know was able to look back at, i would love to kind of see people who didn't have that much of uh, an idea about their specific space but had a resilience and a drive and a kind of um you know like go yeah getting go getting I, kind I, of spirit so I, and i suppose yeah that's what you're saying so it's that go getting spirit isn't it that um that naivety nearly that just yeah. goes okay let's just do this yeah and and the commitment i suppose because if you start taking out loans you start to do things you've then kind of got go back but probably the thing that i would call what you probably had is that true north star and maybe that when you're feeling that imposter you're like no that's where we're going that's yeah. what we are that's who we should be that that's the problem we're gonna yeah. solve some way somehow yeah yeah that that's exactly it and uh, you know i think that the last thing that i'd add into this kind of space is you know sometimes you know it's not just about overcoming um a voice that um a voice of anxiety yeah there are kernels of wisdom and truth in 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 everything and as i mentioned before i think humility self-awareness and awareness of one's own limitations those are good yeah. things those are important traits in an entrepreneur and maybe that voice of doubt is also something that marks you off as a self-aware person that's that's conscious of the you know the dangers and the risks and the limitations and that too is to be 
backed in. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean that you're not the right person to be doing this. I think that that actually suggests that you're a very emotionally aware person that yeah. the space needs. Because frankly, I think there are quite enough absolutely obsessed entrepreneurs that think that their idea is 100% yeah, good, the right God's thing. gift. Yeah. God's gift. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, and therefore, you've also gone through Carbon 13 and the Circular Valley Accelerator Programs, the two accelerator programs. Yeah. Um, you know, Evolve, we run a very, you know, an accelerator for, um, you know, the Dorset LEP and, and all of those kinds of things. And we see the benefits of the businesses that go through them. Yeah. But for you, what are the benefits of running those accelerator or being participants yeah. in those accelerator programs? So they really defined who we have become. They have been absolutely massive in our journey. And the biggest reason is because the caliber of people who we were with. Um, we didn't want to position ourselves as um a small you know business that might make a small amount of impact in a local area we mm. wanted to say hey this could be huge and to see what it actually looked like to be excellent in your field to be, to look at other entrepreneurs and yeah. think oh my gosh they are so on it they the technical abilities of that team the operational excellence and experience of that team um and to be treated like a peer yeah in terms of our confidence that was transformative to realize that hey we we belong in this space too and i think that those peer networks what yeah. were, were and remain the number one thing that accelerators can probably provide you know but in addition to that we didn't know anything about, frankly, business. Mm. Um, certainly didn't know anything about investment markets and how to raise. And um, I wish I could show listeners right now the early versions of our, our pitch decks, which were just a travesty against nature. <laughs> it was so poorly done. And I, I'm so embarrassed in the kind of that the jump between maybe you, you have great uh, design aesthetic and, and and an eye for what makes great pitches and and all of that stuff but we certainly didn't and it took an enormous amount of time to understand you know how to do that and I didn't particularly love public speaking and these kinds of programs they get you used to those environments and they build up the core skills that you actually need when you're when you're raising As money you're progressing through that startup journey yeah. yeah and I think what's great about the two that you went on they were very sector specific weren't they so they've helped yeah. you i suppose gain some of that knowledge about the yeah. whole industry that was possibly yeah. lacking as well yeah that's exactly but it. that power of the peer group you know and, and being around similar people at a similar stage in your journey yeah. and sharing your stories yeah. is really powerful isn't it and it makes you feel like you're not alone yes you know because sometimes yeah. you feel like even you've got a co-founder it's just the two of you against the world exactly and when you realize others are there and they're doing the similar thing yeah, yeah. yeah. that's I can't, I can't underrate that actually yeah. it makes the world of difference um because you're part of an ecosystem and ultimately what you would love to get to is the point where this is in some ways a job it's mm. never going to be just a job it's yeah. never going to be just a job but I think it's very helpful to be able to contain and make sustainable the workload of 
an entrepreneur is to see it like, yeah, like other people have skill sets that I don't have and I have certain other skill sets and I'm like my peers here in that they kind of have these skill sets. And I think that just ability to see other people, there's some natural thing which allows us to get a bit more secure in identity, yeah, you know. Yeah, and, definitely, and absolutely. Awesome. And you've touched on it yourself. And it's something I wanted to, you know, talk to you about because you've successfully raised through grants and through investors over £500,000 to get the business up and growing and to scale as you are now. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Top tips for going, you know, you've talked about working on your pitch deck, but other top tip, tips for anybody looking to raise grant funding or investor funding? Yeah. Um, so investor funding, we initially raised about a quarter of a million on a, on a pre-seed round, and that was largely through angel networks. Yeah. Um, and for any listeners that aren't already really au fait with this, um, angels would be... Um, individuals, um, sometimes high net worth individuals, um, who pull together a relatively small size of money individually. Um, you know, for us that would normally range between ten and thirty thousand. Mm. So not small on a day to day level, yeah. but small when you're talking about larger investment funds. Um, and they build up this large round by kind of combining combining forces. Um, we initially went into um, we went to venture capital funds yeah, and we knew that angels were another route, but I can't really tell you why we didn't take it more seriously. I think if we had had more experience and if we were able to look at our own position and our, what we had and what we didn't have, I think we could have discerned much earlier and saved a lot of pain that this was angel okay because you went through that whole vc capital. piece yeah and what you know spent time and effort and, yeah and so much effort and and we banging your head against that proverbial brick wall again. exactly exactly and we, i won't go into the details but we had a very finite amount of time to fundraise because we had taken this initial kind of investment from yeah. uh, this accelerator carbon 13 we essentially had six months to raise um more money and it was really difficult to just go up against this brick wall with your mm. uh, with the clock running down, and I think with venture capital, I will be a little bit cynical, and I will um, ask for uh, forgiveness for any kind of venture capital investors that are listening. <laughs> um, you know, everyone likes to position themselves like they are at the front of risk and yeah. innovation almost everyone wants to follow yeah. um, and they back the teams that are most likely to do well um, as they should yeah. that's what any well, investor investing should do other people's money, they're investing other people's money custodian of other people's investment aren't they that, I think fundamentally that's it it's nothing it's no, no. bad word whereas when you're dealing with the angel it's their money yeah. it's their risk yeah. reward yeah. yeah and so I think if we were a team that had um, more, if there was a better, frankly, if there was a better founder problem fit, yeah. we had um, multiple PhDs within the team, yeah. um, and we had already commercialized in a really successful way, and or because if you have qualifications, you often you can leverage credibility in yeah. different ways. I think we could have painted a, a picture that venture capitalists could have got on board with, 
But instead, what we had was this slightly plucky, slightly left of center um, story based approach that, you know, we've got drive and we're an intelligent team that is young and that needs that needs to learn a lot. But if you take a gamble, you know, we could really do something here and that sounds like angels to me yeah. now that we've done <laughs> now it you've been on the journey yeah that's definitely angels yeah. isn't it because they're yeah. back in the an idea yeah. they'll take the risk yeah. vc i know there's a definitely a place for it but they want proven history don't they typically that's it it's when somebody's going to go in again i'm going to do a nuance of what they've yes. done again they'll yeah. love that and yeah. they'll lap that all day long but startup more startup funding yeah yeah and, and you know if you know you don't know that like i didn't know well, who has £20,000 to invest? Um, you know, there are a lot of networks, um, not just the ones that you would type in on uh, the first page of Google when you type in mm. Angel Network, which would probably be the UK British Business Angels yeah. or something like that. There's, if you go sector specific, region specific, literally just Google keywords will give you lots of groups and syndicates as they call themselves often where it will be this region has uh, angels or it will be a climate tech focused um, set of angels or if you go on Twitter not that I'm on there um, for personal reasons but a lot of times there are lists which are shared on Twitter of angels active in you know databases basically yeah. that people share uh, active wow. angels it's in good hint and tip isn't it not don't just go for the obvious yes find the sector specific yeah. angels yeah. that know a little bit and yeah. want to invest in your field that's it yeah yeah and then lastly just to to mention the grants um we've been really lucky really lucky that we have a, a we're in a space and that we're in a country that supports us because we really wouldn't have been able to do it without Innovate UK and government funding. Um, There is a knack to grant writing. And, um, you know, I think the thing that I would say, two quick things. First of all, start smalling and get bigger. We started off trying to write these smart grants, which are very big, very generalist funds, which nobody gets. It's really difficult to. And I think that's a really hard way in. We realized that we could do um, Young Innovators of the Year, which is a slightly more youth-friendly competition. Yeah. And then we'd say, we'd leverage the credibility from that to get a slightly bigger grant and yeah. leverage the credibility to get a slightly bigger grant. So going slowly up the grant ladder yeah. and not starting off with the European Horizons you know, yeah. multi-million pound project is, is one quick thing. Brilliant. And then lastly, and this might be obvious, but... Um, I think it's very important to realize that or to be okay with the fact that you're not going to know how to write these grants in advance. And, And if you try your best and you accept a couple of failures, um, you might have the feedback from the assessors that allow you to write better grants. Unfortunately, at the end of the day, as much as it's about technology, it's about you hitting the right bullet points in the right answers. And you can learn that, but you have to be up for a couple of yeah unsuccessful definitely. Yeah, but learn, get the feedback, mm-hmm. review the feedback. It's yeah. you know, we're same when we've applied as evolve for business support contracts. You win some, you lose some, yeah. and you learn along the way, and you start to and you you, yeah. you change your proposition to make sure that you yes. are hitting what you know the grant is there, yeah. or the funding is there to deliver a certain thing, and you yeah. got to make sure you're providing that, haven't yeah. you? And that's the way. That's the integrity about it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so roll forward. We're start of twenty twenty four. You've got your 
facility over in Christchurch in Dorset, yeah. haven't you? So right. you've really made some strides. So where's the business right now, Ben? So we're eight strong. Yeah. Um, still a small team. We're currently splitting our time between delivering commercial orders. Um, public realm infrastructure is the fanciest word we could find yeah. to describe these benches, these planters, these other types of products. And, you know, we're learning a lot of the lessons that I think we need to learn as a small business, not as a startup, as a small business, how do sales works? How do we structure a sales pipeline? Yeah. How do you sell, you know, um, how do you do account management? You know, how do we sell to this type of customer segment? These are these are lessons that everyone needs to learn. And that just because it's common doesn't mean that we're somehow yeah. actually better suited to it than, you know, a non-startup. We're, we're quite humbled, I think, over the last few months about how much work we need to do to set up our processes and our structures. Yeah. Um, you know, we're doing a lot of work for National Highways right now, developing some um, motorway products, basically. Okay. Uh, there's about 80,000 tons of fencing on the motorway network, and uh, it rots quite quickly. We have said, hey, why don't we make it out of this new material? And it's a very regulated space, which makes it quite tricky. Yeah. But we're learning a lot about how to enter regulated spaces, and we're working with National Highways and some Tier 1 contractors, as they're called, like here. Um, so there's a lot of product development work and then there's a kind of third hat and set of things that we're focusing on which is this machine learning informed system that intelligently adapts the formulations of our composites based on the waste streams so sorry if that was a little bit of jargon <laughs> but essentially the tech and right. the tech isn't there we can process some waste streams but there's a lot of work that needs to happen yeah and so a lot of our time and frankly most of our money goes into investing in R&D and we're trying to work out what the right balance is between these things and we're not always doing the, the right yeah. job at it but we're split between this identity of trying to stabilize as a small business and trying to invest in the yeah, so tech to generate grow. the revenue generate the profitability generate the cash flow to yeah. reinvest yeah. self-fund exactly. the investment yeah that's it. and I assume the development of the tech is your constraint because the, the availability of waste to go into the process within your facility and plant in Christchurch to produce the product isn't a constraint. No. So is it just tech that's your constraint? What's your constraint for growth from this point forward? Um, to be honest, it's sales and sales cycles. Okay. We have a kind of technology that I think a lot of large companies large construction companies in particular have good reason to be interested in and i think when we were a little bit earlier in our journey if you had spoken to me uh, nine months ago i would have had a confidence that we're speaking to all of these people mm -hmm. and they're really interested in our technology and that is so far from a sale that is so far <laughs> you know and i think we're very cognizant of that now and for us, you know, actually getting contracts that are small enough that we can service them, we don't have huge economies of scale. Yeah. It's actually quite a thin sliver of total opportunities out there that are both going to make a difference. So selling five benches won't really change that much for our business. Um, 
but neither can we take orders of thousands of this you know uh, basic plank because we just don't have the automation we don't have the economies of scale we don't have the efficiency so we're trying to work out how to actually grow in a relatively steady or, or manageable way yeah. and sometimes it feels like um, certainly a few months ago we actually had a real desert a spell where it felt like there's all of this interest and goodwill around us and no one's actually yeah. there's no purchase order yeah. you know, how do you get commitment how do we get the commitment and and it was really existential and then other times you know we're lucky and okay, a few things come in at once but it's hard for us to negotiate and navigate that and it's not like that's with infinite abundance guaranteed in the future mm. i mean do we expand or are we going to go through another desert spell yeah. so i think we're just trying to stabilize in part and, and kind of manage that growth curve i think fundamentally if we have the ability to if we understand how to generate those sales or, or clinch that we can manage everything else okay yeah. and just do you see yourselves in future being a manufacturer of product company or do you see yourself developing the tech and the machinery that you'll sell to others to manufacture product because yeah. there is so it feels to me like there's two yeah. ways you could go here. yeah oh you put your finger so on it you put your finger so on the question um i almost um you know wish that i had a much more confident answer on a on a public yeah. platform like this because that's my job as as someone that's meant to be providing the we vision. don't need to know all the answers right now though do we it's it's really tough because um we certainly see the future being international and the, by far the best way yeah. to do that you would think is normally licensing i w uh, i won't go into the nooks and crannies of licensing versus franchising versus all of the other ways that you can grow i think in our particular space um what anybody who has an ounce of business sense would say is of course you should license and you should yeah. that's your best way to scale um i think you know, it takes some confidence and some guts to say, well, our business space might look a little bit different. Our manufacturing space might look a little bit different. It's um, questions about the defensibility yeah. of that license is uh, they're important. Yeah. And one thing which stirs my heart more than anything else is the ability to franchise to, for example, charities. Yeah. You can franchise a profit-making model to organizations that are effective at working in difficult environments yeah, and they're proven great... in those environments the poll would be a yeah, great example exactly no. we don't know how to operate there we don't have the structures and we don't want to manage yeah. the people but we do have this technology and it does generate a profit and couldn't that be an amazing symbiosis and i think that you know although that might not be the same route as a conventional purely profit focused business there's no reason to say that can't be, we're not going to close down operations in the UK. We're yeah. going to continue growing. It might give us brand credibility. Yeah. So I'm personally much more interested in the side of the business that could go back to where we started. Um, how we tie this together in a in a coherent way is something I find really You're challenging. Still on, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I suppose that's that kind of piece around, you know, cause and profitability and you've you know in the modern world you've got to have both and you you've really, got to if you're going to do that good you've got to have yeah. the right cause the right focus the right purpose yeah. but you can't do it without the profitability of a core business can you that's exactly it. and uh, for me it's this 
very existential pull between you know we've been focusing on our uk business now for mm. three years and i frankly am much more motivated by other things and sometimes we catch ourselves thinking is this are we still doing what we wanted to do yeah. because you know we wanted to go into communities that urgently needed recycling solutions but fundamentally we're going to be able to contribute a lot more if we are competent business people yeah and if we have a technology and i think that giving that time to grow is what we need to do first how to not lose sight of your you know ultimate north star yeah. is the question um and i think talking about it like we're doing is, <laughs> yeah. is is the only way that we have at the we'll moment we'll come back to you in three years time and see I'd where you are that. ben i love that a couple of final questions first off if you could go back to 2020 and you could sit down in front of ben what advice would you give ben on his startup journey just close your eyes and commit okay commit yeah Love just that. do it don't overthink because i would not necessarily advise other people i think we chose a very risky route i would not suggest that everyone should go and get business loans which have personal collateral mm-hmm. um i think there are lots of good reasons not to do something like that and nothing would have happened if we hadn't done yeah, that close your eyes and commit and believe and yeah cool love that and your own personal definition of success you know what does success mean for yeah. ben as a human and as an individual i think if we were able to quantify the social and environmental impact in a really clear way so we were able to say look at all of these people that have jobs and this number of tons of carbon that's been saved from being incinerated i think I'd be really proud if I could sit in a company of other people who were doing awesome social yeah. enterprises. And if I felt like a peer in that environment, um, that would be success for me. Perfect. Brilliant. Yeah. And if people want to learn more about Circle 11, more about you, Ben, where can they go? Thanks. Uh, go on Instagram. Uh, my co-founder's all over it on our <laughs> account. So Circular 11 uh, on Insta or LinkedIn. Um and uh, reach out to us on email, ben at circular11.com. Super happy to hear from any listeners and, and learn from them. Um, yeah, the door is always open. Brilliant. Ben, I've loved our conversation. You've got some true values at your heart of the business that's come through loud and clear. And you've been really generous with your advice to others that are on the journey. So thank you for being a great guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. No, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. And don't forget, if you'd like to learn more about Evolve and the services we offer and how we can help you and your business confidently start, grow and exit, then please go to evolveadvisory.co.uk. Please also help and support this podcast by subscribing, liking and giving us a positive review on your favourite listening platform. Thanks for listening and see you next week.